Hey, and welcome to the Deconstructor Fun Podcast. So today we're going to talk about everything you, and by you I mean myself, ought to know and about IDFA. And we have two amazing guests. First, out of the blue corner, no, this is not going to be one versus one, but, but anyway, we have Yevgeny Paris from Iron Source, a seasoned mobile growth expert, VP of growth of Iron Source for soon five years. And Yevgeny, you have been doing a great job. Iron Source has grown quite significantly during the past five years. So, so kudos on that. Um, among other things, Yevgeny leads product strategy and growth initiatives within, within Iron Source and is recognized as thought leader in mobile games marketing space. It's been eight years since you joined Supersonic Ads to kickstart and lead the mobile activity at, at Supersonic Ads, which was later acquired by Iron Source and which now is hypercasual publisher, Supersonic Games, right? Uh, that's and, it. Uh, yeah. And you're a big fan of privacy, big fan of measurement, automation, and you play a lot of Archero. Is that a correct? You're still playing Archero? Um, doing my best to keep up. Being uh, <laughs> being retargeted by Archero on Facebook. All right. Uh, almost you should every try day, Battle yeah. Legion next. That's kind of like Archero, but with more like a strategy point. So Yevgeny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks. And out of the, out of the red corner, we got Eric Suford, uh, the man behind number one growth blog, Mobile Dev Memo. As a day job... Eric is helping a bunch of different companies and funds and, and you name it through Heliclis Media. He's also known as the gatekeeper and the bouncer of Gods of Mobile Slack group, uh, which I still <laughs> am a member of. Uh, Eric was a really like a DJ on a growth path, but this year has not been good for, for gigs. So he's focusing again more on mobile growth and also as a, your third job, an aspiring setup comedian, that's not going too well either with, with all the bars closed. But we hope, we hope this situation ends and you can get back to your two passion projects. So Eric, welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'm doubling down on the mobile ecosystem analysis uh, during COVID, given that, uh, you know, DJing is sort of off the table. <laughs> well, that's, that's good for us. All right, two fantastic guests. And I'm just going to do a quick lead in before we start talking about the ecosystem overall. Uh, we're going to talk about the key members of the ecosystem, and we are going to touch upon what are the implications of these changes in IDFA. IDFA. So at Apple's WWDC event in mid-June, number one privacy features were unveiled that will be rolled out in iOS 14 later this year. So among those and most relevant to us is the app tracking transparency framework, which requires an app to explicitly request a user's permission before accessing their device IDFA or unique mobile advertising identifier. If the user declines to grant an app access to IDFA, the user will appear to that as if they have limit ad tracking turned on, which in practice means that when user opts in to the limit ad tracking option on their phones, their advertising identifier will be sent as a string of zeros to advertisers and ad tech companies. This means that advertisers will no longer be able to effectively target these people with mobile advertisements. The all zero advertising identifier of someone with LAT enabled will look like of every other person who has opted out into LAT, meaning a behavioral profile can't be built for them using historical view and click data. The permission track of pop-up will be shown to all users after installing an app it's safe to say that apart from accidental taps, every human getting this pop-up will be declining granting this access. Additionally, iOS 14 will introduce a privacy dashboard where users can easily revoke access to apps that currently have IDFA access. 
And finally, Apple has introduced changes to SK Ad Network, Apple's app install attribution API that will make it possible to determine from which app a specific install campaign delivered a user. The purpose of SK Ad Network is to reduce the amount of data that third parties and advertising networks are able to collect about the users that install an app. Simply put, these three changes are monumental. We're looking at losing unique mobile advertising identifier from both new and existing users, and the way we've accustomed to get our attribution data is transforming. Huge changes, and luckily I have you two guys here talking about it. So let's go and talk about in detail. So. Uh, what's going to happen to all the key elements in the performance marketing ecosystem. And I think we can start off with mobile marketing partners, um, mostly known as attribution platforms. Um, just to lead in, will some advertisers continue to use mobile, uh, these MMPs to attribute the small about 10 to 20% subset of users that opt in into ad tracking? Because th that sample of users could be used to extrapolate composition ratios to the broader set of acquired installs. And you know, maybe these MMPs will be able to build on top of SK ad networks and sort of adopt this change and serve as auditors, uh, creating maybe probabilistic ROAS reporting, or am I totally wrong? And, and these MMPs have to just pivot their business or, or simply choose to cease to exist. Uh, Yevgeny, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, so that's uh, that's a good uh, good question to start off with. Um, uh, taking a step back, this change from Apple, basically, which is by far the biggest platform change, I think the uh, the mobile ecosystem uh, of, of uh, seen. Um, basically, Apple here is taking a completely uh, new and revamped approach to privacy, uh, and the keyword here is uh, tracking where basically, um, like you mentioned, it completely breaks the ability uh, to track the same person uh, across different apps. Uh, even if someone decides to opt in in one app, uh, what are the odds that they will also do it in, in another app? And basically this is completely changing how things are, uh, are, um, are gonna, gonna look like for everyone in this industry. Uh, and it, it seems that they also acknowledge that um, breaking tracking completely Data privacy uh, will uh, pose a lot of challenges to to performance marketing, and and in, because of how attribution works today, which is user level um, deterministic attribution in, in most cases, um, and this is why they're introducing SKA Network 2.0. So that will be to address that uh, that challenge, um, and that is a big big uh, change for MMPs within the, their scope of uh, thinking, because today they are that unbiased uh, entity. Uh, that uh, helps uh, marketers decide uh, and, uh, based on how uh, measurement works uh, user level. And um, it, it, to answer your question, I think that um, um, it's, um, it depends on, on, on kind of when and, and where, but uh, the first couple of uh, weeks so far, and uh, probably once iOS 14 is released, we'll, we'll be in this transition phase where uh, a big part of the users are still on iOS 13. Uh, there's Android, so there will be still place for uh, MMPs to operate as as uh, they do today. Uh, within the context of iOS 14, then historically, uh, when every time an, uh, an Apple operating system is out, it takes uh, just a couple of weeks to roll out to all of the users. Um, most users are going to be on iOS 14, and that basically means that the current function of of MMPs, which is um, uh, based on user level attribution will cease to exist as it is today. Um, and um, 
and that's kind of based on how Apple is uh, treating uh, tracking, how Apple is uh, addressing other alternatives such as fingerprinting, which is uh, the current method of fingerprinting is uh, very far from being accurate to, to say the least. Uh, so if MMPs will not adapt and, and kind of pivot their business to provide additional value and different value on top of the new setup and kind of embrace SKA network, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, changes for their uh, book of business. Um, most teams still, I think, will rely on MMPs, but only if they will provide the, that additional value. Now that SKA network is becoming that uh, unique source of truth that will uh, basically give us uh, for the first time that the true uh, uh, aggregated values of who drove that install and not necessarily who drove that last click before the first app opened. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they're going to have to pivot. I mean, there's no question. But I think, you know, you start to you start to sort of ask yourself how many of these companies can can this sort of new market support, right? I mean, I think, you know, Apple has sort of, um, you know, made it pretty unambiguously clear here that they take like an antagonistic um, posture against these types of companies, right? And so I think, you know, you're, you're, what, what people are saying now, I mean, like the kind of, and you know, today is what, July 9th, right? So, because this is changing day to day. Um, you know, it's kind of a fluid situation. We have no, we have no direct, uh, you know, sort of updated information from Apple, right? Everything that you hear is speculation. I think it's important to point that out because there was like a tidal wave of content marketing that sort of hit, you know, the internet in the d days after this, that sort of um, contained all this mixed messaging around what this means. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, we're going to figure it out. Oh, fingerprinting is fine. And that's just all not true. I think if you, if you look at the way that Apple launched this product, they don't like these companies. They don't like, they don't like targeted advertising on mobile. And so I think if any of these solutions, you know, that you hear, um, you know, being sort of, uh, you know, proposed by these companies involve Apple playing ball to any degree, then you have to ask yourself, well, why wasn't Apple playing? If they're going to, why would they start playing ball now? Like, why would Apple start cooperating for the benefit of these companies now? Right. My, so my sense is that like, yeah, they have to pivot. And I've heard about, you know, these theories that they'll become kind of like data aggregators and they'll become kind of like data auditors. And yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's valuable. I mean, that's value add, that's a value add service that no company, no, no mobile game developer wants to build in house, but how much are you going to pay for that? Right. You're not going to pay, you know, at the minimum M&P service is 8k a month. You're not gonna pay 8k a month for that at the maximum. It's, you know, it's, you're talking half a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year you know, for really big accounts. So, you know, you're not going to pay that for a data aggregator. So my sense is that these companies pivot and maybe they find something that's, you know, sort of more beneficial to the advertisers, more, you know, sort of value add to the ecosystem. Um, but my, you know, and people have quibbled with me about this when I say, hey, MMPs are dead. No, they're not dead. They could pivot. Well, okay, if you're pivoting, you're not an MMP anymore, right? So my sense is that the core MMP attribution business just goes away. And I think, you know, you look at the rollout of this, um, of these changes and, and, and you sort of are, you, you can only assume that Apple wanted that to happen. And so therefore they're not going to sort of, um, you know, cr create any grace period or, or sort of give any, any room for these companies to, to, to maneuver while they figure out what the pivot is. So my sense is like, you're looking kind of at an end of the year timeline for this. You know, what, what people are saying is now that, Hey, Apple is going to look the other way. So Apple very specifically said in the WWC presentation, Fingerprinting is tracking, 
If someone opts out of ad tracking, you cannot fingerprint them and use that fingerprinting for ad targeting. They specifically called that out. And a lot of MMPs are saying, no, no, no. Apple is going to give us a grace period. They're going to let us fingerprint while we figure out a, a longer term solution. Why? Why would I assume that if they didn't even sort of make this like they didn't they, they didn't cooperate with the MMPs at all in the lead up to this. So like, why, why would they start doing that now? I, I think you, from an advertiser perspective, I don't want to rant here, but from an advertiser's perspective, uh, you've got to, you, I, would, I would be focused on what you think the long-term solution is going to be. Because I wouldn't want to invest a lot of money in short-term fixes, right? I, that are going to be sort of um, uh, made obsolete, you know, within, you know, six months, nine months. I'd rather focus on, you know, the longer-term solution that's going to carry me forward as like, you know, in this new paradigm. Damn. All right. So Apple is taking a stance against MMPs and Eric, you're fine. We got Eric's always rant on this podcast. So, so <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, what happens with Google? Does Google share the same type of antagonistic vision or antagonistic stance against the MMPs? And the second question is, you know, well, yes, what happens with Google in terms of Android and what happens in terms of uh, Play Store? So Eric, what do you think? Um, well, Google already has made it clear that they want to sort of um, undermine the MMP business. I mean, they launched a uh, Attribution and Firebase in 2017. So my sense is that, you know, they're probably going to follow suit here. I don't know how, my, I, I believe that they've, they've, they're kind of waiting to see what happens um, and so that they can roll out like a solution that's maybe, um, that's just informed by, you know, by what people want and by the, uh, my, my, my belief is that Apple is going to sort of make some changes to SK ad network, um, you know, in, in, in the coming months on the basis of, of advertiser feedback. I, I don't think like what we see in the documentation for 2.0 is the final state. So I think Google's kind of just waiting to see what happens. Um, but I do believe that, that they will follow suit. I mean, my sense is that comes in, in, you know, maybe end of 2021, maybe 2022. So that's the grace period, basically, for MMPs because they can still focus on on Android. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you look at, um, you know, if you, if you look at just pure install counts, yeah, Android is superior. But if you look at sort of like the the kind of value, um, yeah, seventy thirty, uh, yeah, within the ecosystem, it's all iOS. So I mean, I, I don't know that you would, you know, that's not a, that's not enough to sustain, and also to sustain a big business. Also, I mean, if you if you if you are an advertiser, you're saying, look. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sort of dedicate any time or resources to like solutions that I think are short term. I want to start building a long term solution now. Then you're not gonna be like, well, you know, okay, in this six to twelve month period, I'll have you know tracking done just on Android. I mean, maybe you would, but I think you're gonna, and, and I'll still pay this my same you know kind of contract rate for that. I think you're gonna start thinking about like, hey, if I'm if I'm fundamentally trans transitioning from a deterministic approach to a probabilistic approach to mobile advertising measurement. I want to do that transition fully and completely. And you're probably going to, you know, completely retool because it's, and we'll, we'll get into this later, I think, but it's not just, Hey, I unplug an MMP and build something to replace it. It's I, I completely change the, the, the construction of my team, you know, the composition of my team, the tools that I use, how I do marketing. So it, it, it's going to be a big fundamental, like sort of bottoms up change. Evgeny, one, one, you... one of the things that, uh, so, so, Google followed uh, within a year uh, last time big change happened. That was, I think, uh, eight years ago. I think it's iOS 6. Um, but since then, uh, Google did behave a bit different around limit ad tracking. Um, one of the things that you can see is that four years after the IDFA was introduced, um, 
Apple changed the the, the mechanism to um, zero out the the value itself, right? They basically it it the you know the my understanding is that Apple did not trust anyone to really uh, uh, respect that limit ad tracking uh, setup, and they just zeroed out and kind of broken the functionality of that. Um, Google did not follow that. It's been uh, four years since then. Uh, so on Google, when you turn on limit ad tracking, you still can access the Google advertising ID. Um, second is looking at limit ad tracking rates kind of year over year. And this was like one of the things that pointed out and kind of uh, helped predict that this is going to happen is that uh, version over version uh, on, on Apple, you could see limit ad tracking rates go up and up and up. And you can see that trend uh, over the last couple of years. So it, it's clear to see that Apple was uh, in reached uh, insane rates, like, uh, I don't know, 30%, even more in some cases. And that basically means, you know, if you know how to, it's configured on Apple, that Apple were proactively turning turn this on for users, unlike on Google, where it stayed around 1% to 2%. Um, and that means that on Google, it's probably all those savvy users that were turning it on, while on Apple, it was Apple uh, proactively turning this on. And we actually seen some cases where it's on and it's disabled and you cannot turn it off. Um, so I do believe Google will follow. Um, and the, I think the timeline uh, Eric is mentioning is, is, uh, the same. I think Google having Firebase and, uh, and Google having the part of the attribution mechanism and Google, Google place the store itself is, uh, is, uh, the refer, uh, mechanism, uh, which does not exist on Apple. So Google's approach to attribution is different in general. They have Firebase, which is you know by by far behind probably compared to other MPs. So one of the potential outcomes of this move is perhaps now that Apple and perhaps Google are taking this seriously is also an acquisition in this space from one of the platforms of one of the bigger MPs. I think because SK Network um, is a big change, but if they want to invest in that product, and I agree with Eric that that product is it's the first time you know there's shift there. It probably means there's going to be more updates. There's going to be more feedback. Uh, uh, a better feedback loop with the, the bigger developers, but it's still clear that they invested a lot of time and effort into making this uh, completely break uh, user level tracking as, as we know of today. Um, so uh, I think Google will behave a bit differently, but in general, yeah, they, they have like probably a one or two years more uh, to provide user level data. Well, I think also, I mean, the, the, the position Google's in um, forces their hand a little bit too. I mean, there's an antitrust mm -hmm. suit, you know, uh, so I think that if they, you know, made the deliberate decision to not uh, replicate this, um, you know, they, they it would that would impact the sort of outcome of that suit. So I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they just have to. They've, they've. I mean, yeah. I, I, I to, to your point, yeah. They, they haven't been in total lockstep around the sort of LAT mechanism, but they did. They did follow when Apple introduced LAT. They did follow up, yep. like within a year. Within a year, yeah. So mm -hmm. I mean, I think you know maybe maybe the sort of um, you know, the, the, the specific mechanics aren't exactly the same and you wouldn't expect them to be. I mean, they're totally different ecosystems, but I do think they follow, they follow suit with something that breaks user level attribution. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, again, did I understand correctly? You mentioned that, that um, Apple might acquire an app, an attribution platform to kind of strengthen their own expertise like they did with uh, Bursley uh, back in the days when, when they were building iAds, right? Yeah, and uh, Bursley, uh, the Bursley acquisition, I think it was like 2012 or early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was for test flight, but we know. If the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That that's was true. like, a, from my my knowledge, it's just like a, uh, you know, an internal tool for Bursley. Uh, yeah. I was actually more, for, it, like, I think it's clear that, uh, to me at least, uh, uh, Eric and I might disagree here, that I don't think Apple are in the advertising business, and that's a very uh, 
that's probably the biggest difference between Apple and Google, uh, other than the limit ad tracking behavior. Uh, but um, so I think if Google uh, are to provide uh, a much better solution, I think for them uh, perhaps uh, a, an easier move is to acquire one of the one of the guys. Uh, Apple, I think their investment in SCAD network is good enough of a start, and that's already a big improvement from 1.0. And I think in a couple of versions, this will be. It, I think you know Eric is talking about long-term solutions. I think it, it can be good enough to operate in this new privacy uh, 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 performance marketing stage. And I think that's, uh, they're not too far from that. When you look at today's ESCA network, they need, they need some more work, but it looks like a positive vector that they're just uh, pushing on. So that's. Uh, yeah, and if anyone from Apple is listening, uh, I published a post <laughs> this week with some suggestions for ESCA network uh, on mobiledevmemo.com. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and they definitely are listening. <laughs> so, anyways, so uh, Eric, you wrote also a mobile dev uh, memo that a cold war between Facebook and Apple started basically at the launch of Messenger games. And this is sort of a, like the, uh, the Cuban missile crisis between the two. So what is Facebook going to do? Are they going to push in for Facebook login? Are they going to work for a deal with Apple? And what specifically happens to app event optimized uh, campaigns and value optimized cap campaigns. And, and if you can just quickly um, reiterate on what those two different campaigns, uh, actually I can do it. I, I understand that at least these pieces. So app event is basically uh, pushing for a conversion or, or other type of an event in a game. And when that event clicks after or is, is reached after um, a player installs, that creates the, uh, the app event optimization. And then the value optimized campaigns basically just targeting ROAS or return on ad spend. Anyway, you mentioned those type of things. So, so the Facebook, and you also mentioned that WhatsApp could prove to be worth its large acquisition cost, uh, given that it has identifier in terms of uh, people's numbers. So let's talk about Facebook, Eric, and, and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, if anyone needs more background on you know AEO campaigns, VO campaigns, basically the entire sort of suite of Facebook tools, uh, quantmar.com is a good resource for that. Um, yeah, this is going to be tough for Facebook. It's not, I mean, I don't think there's sort of any way that Facebook can alleviate the pain here. Um, they're just going to sort of have to uh, take a haircut on, on targeting efficiency, right? Because, so how does this impact AEO campaigns? Well, AEO campaigns are precise because Facebook has this rich data set at the user level. And when a user sends an event back from an app, from the Facebook SDK to the, um, the Facebook SDK in the advertiser's app to the face to Facebook's platform. It, you know, it says, Hey, this user completed this event. Now let me use all this rich data that I have about these users to find users that look like them. Right. And so that event transmission chain is broken. Now there's no way, there's not going to be a way for the user if they've opted out to, to have, have that event transmitted to back to Facebook on their behalf. Right. And so what SK ad network accommodates, and I don't want to get way down in the weeds here, but it, it allows you to send conversion events back, um, at the campaign level and the publisher level, right? So now Facebook would get a notification from SCAD and the way that they've implemented this conversion um, uh, flag is really complicated. I, I wrote a post two weeks ago about it. I tried to explain it in detail there. It's, it's kind of beyond the scope, I think, of this, of this podcast. But, um, you know, so basically they'll send one conversion flag back with, uh, with the install attribution uh, post back. But it's just whatever, like the highest value conversion event that the user has triggered in the in the game. So let's say that you know they completed level one, you no know, complete tutorial, completed level one, made a purchase, and 
and those are kind of like one, two, three, and, and just in terms of the event uh, IDs, only that number three would get sent back, right? And so now what if they made a purchase and then they subscribed? Well, the subscription event, if that's a higher value, would get sent back and not the purchase event. And so you'd only know, hey, well, this user actually is worth, a, a, you know, they, 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 they bought a $5 gym pack and a $10 subscription. They're worth 15 to me, but I only know that they bought the $10 subscription, right? So that breaks VO, right? Because VO is all about like sort of magnitude of spend. AEO can still function, but it just won't be as targeted. It won't be as efficient, right? Because you, you'll send back that, hey, a, a conversion event happened from within this campaign. So this campaign has this event and, you know, you can sort of get some sense of uh, performance there, or at least, uh, you know, uh, proclivity of those users to, to do some event. But a, you, know, you don't know the magnitude, so you don't know kind of, it's, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be tough to do like a, a sort of like ROAS assessment. And, uh, and you also don't know which specific user did that event. And so as Facebook optimizes these campaigns, rather than going kind of like bottoms up and saying, hey, this user did this thing, so find me more users like this, you're gonna say, well, this group of users that I've targeted on a kind of demographic basis or, or, or whatever, uh, using my data set did, did a lot of these events. Um, so let me experiment with like a slightly different configuration of this targeting at the campaign level and see if that's better. And so as it does this kind of like automated targeting, it's basically just like feeling around and experimenting with combinations of demographic features um, and behavioral features, but it's doing that kind of blindly. And so it's gonna take a lot longer to sort of optimize versus saying, hey, these users do these things. So find me users that look just like them on the basis of like this rich profile that we've built. So AEO still exists. And I think that's one thing, I mean, maybe I'm skipping ahead, but th this kind of levels the playing field a little bit for SDK ad networks. And in some ways this is good for them, right? So historically, uh, you know, developers have been reluctant to send revenue events back to, to SDK ad networks. Cause you know, if I send you my revenue event and say, hey, you know, this user spends money and you, and you SDK ad network also run a gaming studio uh, then you know who my best users are and you can go target them for your own games, right? And, and, but even beyond that, you can target them for my competitors. I mean, I know that my competitors are working with you, right? So all I'm doing is, is making your sort of data set richer for my competitors' uh, benefit, right? In sending these revenue events. Well, now the revenue events are anonymized. So there's no threat of that, right? And also, um, you know, the, all that data that Facebook has at the user level which was a massive, massive competitive advantage over the SDK ad networks, is kind of neutralized. I mean, not completely. They still, they still get to do that for like lookalikes and they still have it for targeting purposes, but it's not able to be used at the user level for optimizing a campaign. Evgeny, what do you think about Facebook? Not, not Facebook, but, but in this particular case. I think that so I start I started this podcast with uh, me mentioning that I've been retargeting uh, I've been I'm, I'm being retargeted by on Facebook by Archer for the last mm -hmm. couple of months uh, and um, and that that capability breaks I think for uh, for for most uh, campaigns I think specifically to you know um, um, AEO I I I I I envy I think VO is uh, is is going to be a really challenge unless uh, basically uh, I think for some uh, advertisers probably uh, not on, not not on the gaming side you know if you have one monetization event and that, that's worth fifteen dollars you can still make it work obviously less efficient because uh, of the other reasons that Eric mentioned but yeah I think AEO will be become uh, much more adopted and uh, I think. Um, what exactly can Facebook do across their different apps um, and like within their their network? I think it's also 
perhaps a question uh, about Google, what can they do outside of their like own and operated uh, platforms and they, their own SDK networks? I think that's, that's going to be interesting times with how Apple uh, kind of explicitly addresses this topic of tracking among uh, across different apps owned by different developers. Mm. Um, let's, let's do a little hypothesis on, on the SDK uh, ad network. So Apple shuttered I ads in what, like 2016, uh, then they launched Apple search ads. And that kind of, you know, indicates that Apple wants a more significant piece of the, um, the gigantic ads pie. Um, the percentage of service revenue is climbing for Apple every year. It's about 22% for all revenues and 39% and of their gross margins. Um, so Apple grows Apple search, Apple search ads into a legit ad networks. This is a hypothesis. It gets rid of the competition by deprecating IDFA. So Apple Search ASA is the top network for advertiser after that, right? And that allows Apple service revenues to get a major boost. Am I like completely wrong? Is this is this a play for Apple to to make to make their Apple Search ads more uh, impactful towards their general business? Uh, Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I mean, I wrote a post about this a couple months ago, you know, I think it's called why is Apple building an ad network? And that mm -hmm. was my hypothesis because I've always been operating on the assumption that IDFA is going away. Right. I mean, I wrote a post in February yeah. where I said, Hey, I think the IDFA is going to be deprecated at WWDC and that this is what's going to happen, you know, as a chain of events after that. So, and, and that's been my kind of operating thesis ever since. And so am I kind of thinking about how, you know, these, these, um, these decisions are, are, uh, uh, are, um, what, what the calculus behind these, these kind of decisions are has always been sort of uh, informed by that thesis. And so my sense was that, hey, when, because Apple expanded SK ad, or sorry, they, they expanded ASA, right? They expanded it with new placements and owned and operated apps. And so my thinking was like, well, why would they do that? Like, well, obviously service revenue growth is the, is the growth vector for the company. Um, and how, how could they expand their portion of the sort of mobile advertising market well expand, you know, the placements, expand just the reach of ASA, but then also kneecap the competition. I don't think that was a primary motivator here. I think they are, I think they are very genuinely, um, uh, you know, uh, cautious about user privacy. And I think that's part of the value prop of Apple products. It's like, well, Apple takes my privacy seriously. And they've been, you know, and if you look at all the initiatives that they've done on the mobile web with and, and with just Safari uh, on desktop and mobile, they, they clearly are protective of, uh, of, of user privacy. So like if, if you would look at those developments, you know, for, over the last two to three years, I think it was only logical to assume that they would bring that to, mo to, to mobile, you know, apps. So, I mean, I, this was kind of like totally foreseeable. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it was, I think it was part of it. I think, I think they, they see this as an opportunity to gain sort of market share um, in, in mobile advertising. Now, I don't think that they are expecting to gain like, you know, a, 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 a sort of primary position here. Like, I, I do agree with Evgeny that they're fundamentally not an advertising company. And so I don't think that they see this as, you know, um, a, uh, you know, a sort of like 30% of the revenues, you know, in five years. But I think they see this as maybe like, they'll grow it by double or they'll double it or they'll, you know, they'll grow it, you know, by 50%. And that would still be like a meaningful, you know, addition to the gross margin because, Advertising is an awesome gross margin business if you own the inventory. Yeah, I think I think uh, ASA is going to grow. Uh, I don't. I have no doubt there. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's like the purpose of this move at all. Obviously, 
Um, but it will be the outcome of it, I think, because I think there's going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the pie will look different the day after, maybe a couple of weeks after, and it's going to, uh, might be smaller and it definitely will be, uh, distributed in a completely different, uh, way. And ASA will have a bigger cut of that, but I don't think that's part of the strategy here. Mm, okay. So I think, uh, just to, just to kind of to, to finish up this, this, this thread. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if, if you look at, if you think about Apple, um, they are probably like the most customer obsessed company in the world, right? And if you look at the app store, what is it? It's basically like, I mean, literally open up the app store and just look at what you see when you first open it. It's a delivery mechanism for hyper casual games. And you open up any single hyper casual games uh, profile and you see people complaining that the game sucks. It's chock full of ads. You don't get this. It's no, there's no content or you open up like any sort of like core game page and it's like oh this game's ripping me off you don't get any content you got to pay they hit you up with uh, for money and it's like the customer reviews are, are generally like kind of across gaming pretty bad um i think apple doesn't like the fact that there's this whole ecosystem that drives the sort of editorial curation of of their uh of their library right they don't like the idea that hey there's this ads ecosystem that controls what people see when they open up uh, uh the app store um, and scroll through the, the top games or whatever. Um, and so, I mean, I think that part of this was like, hey, we want to kind of wrestle control of this back. We want to curate this. We want to like, we're the best at curating the, uh, the sort of like stream of content for the user. And we want to do it in a way um, that sort of like abides by the kind of Apple sort of like design ethos. We don't want this, our, our ecosystem flooded with hyper casual games. Like we, we want this to be the sort of, um, you know, a real Apple experience. We want opening up the app store to be like walking in to an Apple store in real life. It's like, it's beautiful. It's well laid out. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're, you're only sort of confronted by products that meet sort of like highest design standards um, of Apple. My sense is that was probably the biggest motivator. And I feel like they tried this with Apple Arcade. Um, it didn't really, it didn't work. Um, and my sense is like, well, this is kind of like the next more extreme step. Mm, no, that, that's a that's a really good way to put it. I I never thought about it, but yeah. Um, I want to kind of finalize the talk about the ecosystem by talking about the UI team, since about you know a couple of thousand UI professionals are listening to this podcast right now, uh, and they would you know like to know your opinion on, on what's going to happen to the UI teams, because as of late, uh, there's been a lot of trend of scaling down due to the decreased importance of of media buying and programmatic media buying. Uh, creative has become or is becoming the king uh, of, of mobile advertising and the, uh, the sort of importance of the top of the funnel channels um, has been potentially increasing with a lot of big games um, using influencers, using um, all kind of top of the funnel ads from, from, uh, from billboards to, to TV ads uh, at, a, at an increasing um, scale. So what's going to happen to UI teams, Eric? Do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I think that this, this kind of just accelerate, I mean, the, the IDFA deprecation and sort of like the, the, the loss of user level uh, attribution sort of just accelerates a trend that kind of took root, you know, with AEO and VO uh, sort of hitting scale in like 20, end of 2018, 2019. So those are both launched in 2017. Um, and that basically alleviated the need for like a big matrix org of media buyers, right? Um, so if you think about kind of the, the, the UA team of, you know, circa 2013 to 2015, it was just a, a bunch of hands. It was a bunch of sets of hands that are messing around in Facebook ads manager and tuning things. 
And that just, it's just not, um, that's not the, par- that hasn't been the paradigm for a while. Right. And so, so companies were, so companies were, I think companies had a hard time thinking about how they accommodate this change um, without fundamentally becoming like an advertising tech company. Right. So if I'm a games company, I build gaming content. Now, it's just a fact of life that the way that mobile gaming companies grow is UA. It's, it's, it's paid at, it's paid media, right? That's how you grow. It's, it, there's the direct correlation money in produces money out like in, in for the last few years. Right. And so, you know, I think a lot of companies were uncomfortable. It's like, okay, well, I've got a UA team. I kind of know what they're doing. You know, I see them in the office. I see them in Facebook ads manager. I get it. I mean, that, that it makes sense to me what they're doing now in this new paradigm. I've got a bunch of engineers and they're working on some stuff. And when I talk to them in the hallway and they have a hard time explaining to me what they're building, I think a lot of companies got uncomfortable with that. And the problem was, you know, that the whole industry was becoming probabilistic anyway. Like people thought there was this illusion that, you know, Hey, I get this data from the MMP and that means that that's an exact attribution. And that's, that's not the case. I mean, there was probably 20 to 30% of you know fuzziness around the data that people had around attribution anyway i mean there was so much overlap in the inventory plus all the sans got basically first look at at the attribution because they're self-attributing so like people just kind of lulled themselves into this kind of sense of security with having mmp that hey this is all exact and it's totally precise because look this user tagged with this source and so you know i think this accelerates that change now the problem was like all this legacy infrastructure, there were vested interests in maintaining that status quo, right? There's big businesses built around this. Well, now Apple pulled the rug out from all of that. And you just have to confront the reality that probably a lot of this infrastructure needed to be retooled two years ago, right? And the teams are now going to be engineers and analysts, and they're going to be buying uh, from different media sources. And they're going to be sort of optimizing that spend with like probabilistic models instead of just saying, well, we know what the ROAS is because look, this user came from this source. And I think, you know, maybe that, maybe that happens in-house at big companies, it definitely does. And maybe a whole new class of ad tech or, or I, would, I, would, I don't even think it's ad, ad tech has a, uh, you know, it, 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 ad, ad tech, I think has kind of like a, a negative connotation attached to it. But I think, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't really ad tech per se. It's, it's just like, it's a BI or it's, uh, it's insight, right? So I think a whole new class of like these insight companies emerges to meet this needs, which is exciting, right? That's exciting. Like, this is a transformation um, it, and, and, uh, and, you know, a, a lot of people are going to reskill and they're going to learn new skills and they're, and they're going to, uh, you know, embrace this change. And a lot of people uh, are going to try to cling to, to the, to the sort of like aged status quo, but um, everything is changing. And, and I think, um, you know, UA teams, I, t- I don't even know that you would call a team that does this kind of stuff UA anymore. You'd call it like marketing engineering, or you'd call it like, marketing automation i don't know that you'd you'd say in two years i don't know that you as a mobile gaming company you'd have a team called ua shit <laughs> evgeny yeah I, I think um the you know i think eric everybody hit the nail on the head that the, the 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 teams that will not are not uh, like in the middle of adapting to it right now are already in a big problem i think um and uh yeah the writing was on the wall but, but even now um uh, adapting to this means really understanding uh, what this change is about and that's a that's a huge paradigm shift and i think that uh i think eric is calling this engineering and i think that's that's exactly the approach here because at the end of the day it's operating 
um, a completely new uh, uh, stack uh, that probably you, you, you've been part of designing it yourself. Uh, the way the data flows, the way the insights come, how uh, core analysis looks, will look like or not. I think the fact that ROS will suffer uh, as, as, as an approach. So basically adopting to this new methodologies, new tools um, will require different skills. I really hope that pe people will uh, reskill, but I also think that there's going to be a big gap of, of uh, like the, the, the need versus what, uh, what the teams look like now. And that, that's, I think many companies will suffer. Uh, and those that will uh, adapt quicker, I think they will come out very strong from this change. I think that's, that's kind of the opportunity for those that are now uh, working on, on the changes already. I think that's the ones that will adapt faster will, will win. And those that will not, uh, they, will be, they might be left behind, uh, both in terms of career path, but also in terms of the, the growth of the companies they work for. Mm. So um, I want to talk next about the implication of all these changes to the mobile market. But I want to kind of start off by talking the implication of, of continuing talking about the UI teams. So one, one thing that I'm, I'm very curious is, is like, what is the composition of a UA team for, for a modern or not a UA team of a marketing team, basically for uh, for a modern, not modern for the uh, for the game publisher and the game developer in the future. Is it the focus moving more from performance marketing towards product marketing managers? Um, is the is the importance of of brands increasing? Is is the uh, importance of, since we're talking about brands? Is the importance of IPs increasing? So can you can you guys? Talk about that, Eric. If you wanna, if you wanna take the first step of like, you know, IPs, uh, product marketing management. How is how does the team start looking? Yeah, I mean, if you think about performance marketing, it's it's really like just a framework for trying for for undertaking things um, with an eye towards what the return on investment is, right? It's in, in the direct return on investment, right? So if I th if I'm a brand marketer, I still kind of think about you know, there are brand marketers that don't take a performance marketing approach, but they don't last long in their jobs. I mean, you know, if, if I'm a brand marketer, I'm still thinking about what's the return on investment, but not, not, there's no direct, like there's no directly measurable way. So I'm using like a lot of different models to inform, um, inform that return, inform my understanding of that return. Right. So I'm looking for like, you know, uplift in different geos where I do ad spend and I'm thinking about, um, you, you know, uh, uh, the demand uh, from different stores to stock my items, right? So, but the, the benefit of, of digital is just that you have that direct line of communication with the consumer, which is the ad that they click on. And you still have that. I mean, it doesn't go away. The measurement piece does, but I mean, again, I think that measurement piece needed to change a couple years ago, right? And so um, this doesn't really change the kind of framework that you approach this with i think it's just the tools are going to change and i think like the ua team of the future you know it would be like a marketing automation team you'd have a couple of engineers you'd have a data scientist who probably leads it um you'd have you know analysts and then you'd still might have like a brand director and you still probably have a creative director those those pieces of the puzzle don't change um i just i wonder about for a mobile gaming company what does who is the cmo right i think the mobile the mobile gaming company CMO of 2021 or 2022 has to be a lot more technical than they are now. I don't think you would um, be able to do your job very well if you were kind of like more uh, brand uh, centric, right? I mean, that obviously, you know, plays a big role in, in a lot of game companies growth trajectory and, and maybe the whole strategy around the, the gaming company is that. And so, so maybe that works. 
But if you're a gaming company that's like sort of launching new IP, um, you know, from zero, you, you still have to grow it. And I think that CMO probably needs to be quite technical and, and understand, you know, how these growth mechanics work. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think people say performance marketing, like that's the opposite of brand and brand marketing fits under that performance market. It's just an approach. It's like an, it's like an, uh, an, an agenda, right? And then the, the, the specific strategy you use, um, there's no such thing as non-performance marketing. Like no one, no one has that on their LinkedIn, right? Uh, so performance marketing is really kind of how everyone approaches this. It's just whether it's more deliberate or not and like what the directness of that measurement is. Mm. Oh, one one thing like like that's that's an interesting element that you said that the uh the cmo of 2021 22 has to be even more technical because on the other hand because of this uh, this idfa some might say that the need of performance marketing or ua as we as we previously saw it is not as important and other channels are becoming more and more important but you're uh, you're basically countering that by saying no you actually have to be even more technical than you were before you can't go um on on full creative approach or full brand direction it's like no no, no you have to be more technical how how is that like can you explain why well because you're still going to be using these digital digital channels right i mean these are going to be the easiest and sort of like most performant channels that to deliver users to your game it's just that in you know in order to use them you're going to need, need to build up machinery that involves a lot of modeling and a lot of your own you know sort of measurement um and, and in order to sort of like capably operate that you're going to need, need a technical background i mean i you know you know take me with a grain of salt right you know uh, this is my sort of bias uh seeping in here and, and i think it would be cool to for you to talk to like a more brand centric mobile game C cmo um, to see what their take is on this. And I'd, I'd, I'd happily listen to that podcast. But my sense is that, you know, if you're a gaming company that, you know, is launches new products and new with new with sort of owned IP, or even even sort of licensed IP, and you grow them via digital channels, in order to do that, well, you're going to need a lot of sort of like technical capability on your team. I think that the, the, the change, you know, on top of what Eric is mentioning, look, looking at SKA Network, I think the edge will come uh, for the teams that figure out how technically SKA Network works the best and like find the, the right way to model things, find the right way to, to, uh, to connect the dots in terms of data analysis because analytics stays the same, right? Analytics, uh, uh, like uh, analyzing all the courts that are coming in uh, stays the same, but understanding what can you take from that and, and, and change in your marketing strategy I think that requires a completely different approach. Uh, I think uh, Eric uh, published in the last couple of weeks, or probably even earlier, uh, about uh, uh, media mix modeling. I think uh, this this new paradigm shift will will push new methodologies here, and I think that will be able to kind of, uh, in, in uh, from from a different perspective, uh, facilitate. Uh, I think what Eric meant around brand uh, marketing becoming performance marketing measured under these new 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 uh, uh, different methodologies within the mobile space. So I think uh, um, that's part of uh, part of what this big change is about. All right, Yevgeny, let's let's switch gears and talk about a couple of things. So first of all, like the number one thing that people think about in the studios is what's going to happen to the CPIs. Uh, if, if performance is measurable only on a campaign level, does that increase the CPIs? And will the CPMs increase as there's more advertisers bidding for the same audience because of less ability to target? Or will it decrease as advertisers decrease their bids due to the lack of effective targeting? 
Uh, what's going to happen to the CPIs? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a hard question. Um, and I think that it's early to answer that, um, with, you know, it's early. We're like two weeks after the announcement, looking at how, uh, I think, uh, advertisers, uh, react to this in terms of their approach, their knowledge, the kind of the, you know, somewhere like in between or like, you know, uh, uh, some levels of fear, some levels of denial, uh, some are trying to like stick to what they know and, and, and think that fingerprinting is going to be good enough. Um, I think that within, within a couple of uh, next weeks, if we, I think if the market will shift to a place where developers realize that they have to adapt here and start working on this now and perhaps even uh, testing iOS 14, the, 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 in an abstract approach uh, starting tomorrow, because you, theoretically you can, and kind of uh, uh, simulate how, how will the day after look like. I think uh, once iOS 14 is here, those that are ready, uh, they'll be able to maintain similar CPIs, which will impact similar kind of CPMs and the outcome that on the monetization side. If the market will not adapt uh, quickly, then yes, uh, monetization will suffer from ads. CPIs will drop for ad-based uh, games. And that also means that it's gonna be a shift be, uh, between like uh, IP-based games and, and ad-based games because ad-based games will not be able to sustain themselves without that. Um, on the IP side, I think, uh, IEP, sorry, uh, on IP side of games, I think that uh, uh, it very much depends on how well those teams uh, adapt to like this new 64 uh, six bit value, uh, conversion value within SGF network. And I think uh, those that will start uh, testing this right now will be able to facilitate uh, same CPIs, perhaps even higher because the, the, the new truth of SGF network might uh, open uh, uh, some new opportunities. Uh, but again, it's, I think it's early to say, um, well, I think we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be smarter in the next couple of weeks based on how the market reacts. Yeah, I, I think this, this, this does create like a whole new level of strategy around economy design, right? So if, if the conversion value logic doesn't change, teams are really going to have to figure out how they move like meaningful monetization signals into a period of time that allows that post back to get sent back, you know, to the ad network, you know, with, uh, with, with some speed, right? Um, so I think it's really interesting, actually, that th this is gonna bring a lot of sort of like strategic calculus to the, especially the early, early game design and the onboarding funnel. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of an exciting development. I think CPIs go down, but I think because ad efficiency goes down. So CPIs go down, but the sort of like value of users goes down. Um, now, I think for the companies that are really hurt here are the ones that need to drive a high percentage of whales, right? So if you think about like the kind of, uh, you know, strategy RPG games, the build and battle games, it's going to be tough to do that, right? Because you're not going to, Facebook's not doing this for you anymore. They're not doing that sort of like automated user level at, you know, targeting, uh, you know, on the basis of specific user behaviors. And, you know, my experience, and I don't know, Misa, if you agree with this, but Whenever I've, you know, working at gaming studios, whenever, you know, when, when you could, you know, back in the day of Facebook Canvas, when you could look up who the whales were because you had their Facebook profile, you could just go look. It was random. You, you wouldn't have guessed. It was like uh, some, some guy in Amarillo who uh, works for like, I remember this uh, pretty clearly. Like, there was a guy in Amarillo who worked for like a pipeline company. And he had spent like 8K in a game, you know, and like it was just random people. And so that's, Part of the problem with, you know, this kind of demo targeting is you can't say, well, you know, I bet the whales are 
35-year-old single guys in New York City. No, the whales mm -hmm. are just this random assortment of people. And Facebook can guess who they are because it has all this data uh, about how they use Facebook or how they click on ads or how they monetize with other games. But you can't. You can't from a demographic standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's truly random. Like I, I started remembering, I, I was not even looking at Facebook. We had, um, we brought in these uh, super players uh, or whales, however you want to put it. And they would be from the same guild and they would kind of meet face to face. And that was a wild bunch. Like the only thing that, that truly brought them together was probably the game. And of course they were all male. So, so probably those type of two, two things. But the, yeah, the only thing that was in common was that they were male and playing this game. That's it. Everybody was different age, different city, different professions. And they weren't like Wall Street bankers putting in tens of thousands into this game. There was pretty much everybody. And this is, um, and this is why Apple does not want tracking to happen anymore. <laughs> the, the last uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Damn it. Uh, all right. So let's talk about, let's talk about ad monetization. This, the other piece of the coin. So the implication of header bidding going away and developers kind of, I mean, some developers still use it, but developers largely going back to waterfall models. Um, and assuming that ad revenue goes down, like you've getting, you mentioned what happens to the, uh, the hyper casual, um, segment if, if that starts shrinking now. And on the other hand, with ad networks being impacted, will they enter game publishing more aggressively now and sort of pursue this, this uh, vertical integration as AppLovin has done successfully for now? And, and I mean, Iron Source has uh, Supersonic and, and you guys have been really successful with that as well. So uh, can, can we talk about ad monetization? Um, yeah, I think, uh, so looking at the last couple of years kind of before this the thing happened, uh, there, uh, the biggest advancements were around uh, header bidding, uh, which basically uh, facilitates uh, user level bidding, uh, auctioning for across different uh, networks and bidders. Um, I think this will, like the, the, the design will not change, but the uh, efficiency of the bidders will drop significantly because today for, for many of the bidders, uh, for the most part, it's uh, based on user profiling, right? profiling. So if they don't know who that user is, and it's going to be based on context and it's not that, uh, that guy from Amarillo. So the, the bids are going to drop, but the, the design stays the same. I think the second biggest advancement that happened uh, were I think when we released um, the kind of uh, the, the uh, ad revenue measurement uh, uh, to, to facilitate that measurement on the analytics side so you know how much revenue each user generated. Um, that stays and that, that is connected to uh, header bidding, but the ability to connect that to where those users uh, came from completely changes. And, and when you look at the, within like most of hyper casual games where the best practices uh, around, uh, you know, depend, depends on like the mechanics of the game, but uh, our word videos are strong, uh, decisions are strong and in many cases, banners are there. I think banners will suffer a lot uh, with how SK network works. So there's no VTA, right? There's no view through. It requires a, a much stronger intent. So there's no gonna be like, you know, these misguided clicks uh, and random clicks. So banners, I think will be questioned in general. I think that will also kind of uh, impact programmatic DSPs. Uh, but uh, I think uh, assuming that um, if, if CPMs are going to drop by more than uh, 30, 40 percent, that's sort of completely kind of questioning the, the ad, ad based model. And, and, and these guys will, will need to adopt in terms of how they measure things. How do they uh, decide on the, kind of the product flow and the monetization flow? Um, and um, it's still like hard to say, but it, it depends on on many factors, but in general, a lot of things will change there, I think. 
So you want to hear my, uh, my hypothesis on hyper casual. I, I think that it, it's just not a viable, um, it's, it's not a viable uh, genre anymore. I mean, I think CPMs do collapse by 50%. Facebook released a study on this. They said without our kind of targeting, CPMs would be 50% lower, right? Um, I think hyper casual goes away as like a viable genre for a couple of reasons. One is that the growth of the hyper casual games is almost completely dependent on buying users cheaply from other hyper casual games, right? So if the CPM, if the CPMs kind of, uh, you know, uh, collapse, um, that whole kind of uh, cycle deteriorates. But here's what hyper casual games are good at. They're good at uh, acquire, you know, they're good at sort of um, uh, building a massive uh, inflow of organic installs. I think there's going to be a sort of arms race for big gaming companies. And when I say big gaming companies, I'm talking about Playtika, I'm talking about Applovin, um, uh, to spot, I'm talking about Playrix. I'm I, I think they're going to buy up these hyper gaming, hyper casual gaming companies. They're going to build their own sort of ad serving infrastructure to utilize IDFV for cross promotion. And they're just going to use these hyper, hyper casual gaming studios as big funnels into their, uh, into their sort of like uh, core portfolio, uh, you know, and, and essentially build an ad network that's based on hyper, hyper casual games, driving organic uh, uptake. That's my hypothesis. So given this hypothesis, what does it mean for ad networks that are, you know, focusing mainly on, on ad networks if publishers are building their own ad networks by, by gobbling up these uh, hyper casual and, and like, you know, casual game companies? Well, you mean ad networks like, <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, some that have already gobbled up uh, uh, mobile gaming companies. I think, I think it just, it's, it, the, I think all of these converge around the same profile. It's yeah. just, they come from different directions. Ad networks gobble up gaming studios, gaming studios gobble up other gaming studios and create internal ad networks. I mean, I think the, you know, the big players of like 2022 are going to have like massive ad serving infrastructure and they're going to have big portfolios that they use. Um, some of which are magnets for users uh, on an organic basis and some of which are like sort of landing pads where they get monetized. Interesting. So this, this is a, a whole new vector of M&A basically. Uh, and, and if you're not taking part of this, you're, you're being left behind because the competition is really kicking off on the highest of levels. Yeah, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be an arms race. I think, I think these big gaming companies are gonna gobble up DSPs because they're gonna be cheap and they're gonna uh -huh. gobble up these uh, content companies because they're gonna be cheap um, and they're gonna build big, big platforms. Now, uh, my 2023 hypothesis or let's say that the sort of the next, the subsequent, the subsequent stage from this, right? So these, all, these, all these companies converge as uh, advertising companies that also publish content. Now, why they might question like why, you know, hey, I don't want to pay this 30% platform fee. I've got this massive platform of my own. Why? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be sort of dependent on these, uh, on these um, uh, hardware platforms. Why, why not just take this uh, and, and, and spin it off as its own specific thing? Uh, and, and so I think there's going to be competition on a platform basis, right? So you think about like one of these gigantic companies that's aggregated content, they've aggregated all their um, ad serving infrastructure. They're in like end of 2021, 2022. And they're saying, you know, I'm paying 30%, um, but I own these people. I have, a, I have a direct relationship with these people. I don't need the platform. I'm doing all of this on my own. Why don't I just sort of spin this out? Mm. And I think that's the kind of, that'll be like the next sort of big, big sort of, uh, Ragnarok style battle 
uh, that takes place. But I feel like there's a big wave of M&A coming around that sort of like DSP tech and also like, uh, you know, mobile gaming studios. So uh, you mentioned IDFV. So I'm just going to open up. It's identifier for vendors, and that will remain accessible regardless of whether a user has opted out into app tracking or not. So the IDFV is a unique device identifier available to app developers across its own apps on a given user's device. And that's basically what Apple has written. And through then that is sort of the key sentence for this Ragnarok style battle at the top. Evgeny, do you want to mention anything about this? I mean, I'm sure you, you guys are talking about these things. And since you're heading growth for one of the biggest uh, platforms, um, this, you know, you're probably going through all the different scenarios. So you're asking about uh, IDFV, just to make sure? Yeah, I'm just asking about this, this sort of, um, um, this sort of a M&A. Um, uh, the, the strategy. Yeah, behind. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. IDF, IDFV driving uh, M&A strategy. Yeah, I, I'm honestly not a big believer uh, in that part uh, from the M&A perspective. Um, I think that things are, are I, 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 uh, when, I think technically when, it, when you acquire a different uh, developer account, uh, it has different IDFEs for the same people. So that's like uh, one thing that can be challenging here. Uh, in general, I, I agree with the notion of, uh, the, you know, the, the more direct and uh, owned and operated uh, inventory you have, and this is like, this will, this will drive uh, a lot of consolidation with the content builders who, who are today basically the hyper-casual guys. Um, and I think that um, consolidation will not necessarily come around the content. I think it's going to be a lot around the tech in next uh, year. Um, but uh, IDFV is just a very, very small part uh, of that. I think uh, there's a lot. It's the purpose of IDFV is not more marketing, right? That's not the purpose. Um, and uh, the, the, the purpose is for you to be able to kind of have access to your users across your different apps and that's it. But I don't think that's for marketing. Uh, that's not what uh, Apple meant with this. Uh, even though it's almost sounds like IDFA, it's very different in terms of purpose. But yes, it has some value in terms of analytics and understanding kind of your portfolio behavior, not necessarily within a certain app, but uh, in terms of portfolio, how many apps each IDV is engaging with within your portfolio uh, and how can you kind of uh, leverage that and, and, and improve monetization. Uh, Cross promotion, which you mentioned, I think that's, there's gonna be a lot of mechanics that will, uh, uh, mechanisms that will arise here, but that's not that uh, big of a deal yet, I think. All right, last question regarding the, uh these these different different elements and different implications to the mobile games market and, and the last question is around ip so um i it's it's been questionable how valuable ips are and, and eric had a full gdc talk uh, a few years back about ips and 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 whether you should be using them or not and it's a really tough decision every time when you're talking to a good ip because of the minimum guarantees the um the whole process of actually building a game with an IP with the approvals and everything. And we have actually a podcast regarding IPs with um, from a couple of years ago. And in addition to that, the revenue share and how much are you getting organics through that? So a lot of hassles, but now with these changes coming in, are IPs and, and I'm, I mean, top tier IPs, are they becoming more valuable since in a way IPs know what their audience is? Uh, Eric, what's, what's your take on this now? Yeah, same as it ever was. I mean, you know, my, I think the kind of, the, the, the sort of takeaway from my talk at GDC was like, 
you gotta, you've got to work with an IP holder that gets it, right? And they've got to be willing to work with you around the, the, the sort of structure of the transaction. You talk to a lot of IP holders, like, yeah, sure, you can use my IP, give me a million dollars. Well, it's like, okay, I don't know if it's worth a million dollars to me. I've got to build a whole business case around this. Um, I'd rather you take a cut of the revenue uh, and, I, and even, prefer, even more preferable to that, I'd rather you, you take a cut of the incremental revenue. Um, but like very few IP holders kind of are willing to go that route, even though it could be much more lucrative to them. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I, IP is, I mean, this is obviously not related to the IDFA stuff. I, I think, you know, I think if you get a good IP, um, you know, what a good IP traditionally has done for you is it made, made it easier to market, right? It made, made it, uh, you made, made your marketing more efficient, right? People, people clicked more readily on your ads because, hey, I recognize that person or that brand. I like that brand. I'm going to, I'm going to click on it. Um, but you know, I, so if, okay, so I think if this new kind of paradigm in the short term kind of rewards, uh, games that have really broad audience, right. Cause they don't really need that super segmentation, uh, to be very exact about onboarding whales. They can, they can just sort of like cast a big wide net and everybody kind of monetizes at a lower level, but you know, the ads are also cheap because the, the game, uh, is super broadly appealing and everybody wants to click on the ads. So that helps, but I think, you know, within that kind of uh, more casual portion of the spectrum, um, I don't think, I mean, I, I wouldn't be willing to sort of onboard an IP and pay a big MG and pay a, 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 rev a royalty for a core game now, because it's going to be really hard to determine how I'm going to like use this to make my ads more efficient for the users that are going to monetize better. I think when, when people make mistakes around IP, they, 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 they uh, force this conflict of IP and game type, right? And so the IP is good at getting the wrong type of users. Um, and so the, the IP makes ads more efficient for users that don't monetize. And so it's not worth anything. And in some cases, um, actually makes the users that do monetize less likely to click the ads, right? If there's, a, if there's kind of a fundamental um, mismatch there. What are you, what's your take on IPs? Um, I think that uh, I, I, you know, in general, IPs enjoy a higher uh, organic uh, um, uh, user base, and that's that, in, in, in a sense, gives them an advantage in this new uh, uh, world. Um, but um, in many cases, you know, their UA teams might not be as fast enough to adapt to this. Um, but um, I think I think the outcome of this change will be that people will be playing different games just because of how advertising will work, and this might be one of the reasons, like also behind this change of like how Apple as a platform want to break the capability of someone to manipulate someone's mind. Uh, so I think IP-based games will grow in general uh, because of less ad-based games, less ad-driven, uh, UA-driven games, and I think IP games will enjoy that. All right. Um... Yeah, so a lot, a lot, a lot of details. I will have to re-listen to this podcast probably five times. Uh, but I wanted to to go through kind of six uh, different publisher game developers uh, with you and and ask what is going to happen and what is your recommendation. So I want to start off first with, and this is basically the segments of of different listeners that we have for this podcast. So number one is startups that have that are making a casual game that is sort of a fast to market. That's that's been the the trend now almost hyper-casual approach or hybrid casual approach, if you will. 
a lot of games are coming out with like a four year, four month development and, and then they're, you know, hustling and growing. What's going to happen to those and what is your recommendation? So fast to market, casual game from a startup. Uh, I would focus on IAP monetization, um, preferably subscriptions in some way. I mean, uh, that might be hard to shoehorn into a super casual game. Um, and I would focus on making it as broadly appealing as possible um, so that, you know, you can run these ad campaigns in a way that, that doesn't require like very precise, you know, sort of like user centric precision targeting on the, on the part of Facebook. Okay. Nothing to add. I agree. 100%. Perfect. So yeah. let, again, let's start next one with you. So what's going to happen to, and what, what is your recommendation to publishers with sort of a mid LTV low to, to mid size LTVs, pretty high DAU as an example would be, you know, companies like Rovio or, or uh, Jam City. Uh, what's, what's going to happen to them and what is your recommendation? So some IPs, but, but, you know, yeah. So I think in, in theory, they will compete with the, with the previous group that you mentioned, but uh, the, the more casual they are uh, and, and the more focused they are, um, um, this, they can also grow just in general because of their competition will actually go down with how, uh, how the market behaves today in terms of the, uh, the allocation of ads. And I think that's, um, these ones will might be the biggest uh, like th these ones it's it's less about like the ltv i think it's more about how big the company is so i think that the the mid-sized companies will the will be able to adopt much faster to this whole situation so the bigger it is the if you're a public if you're committed to spend if you're committed to hitting certain numbers for this fiscal year this this is a nightmare in the bigger ones so that's going to suffer so their ability to adopt to this new era is going to be uh, harder. I think these ones, they, like the mid-sized guys, will be able to to embrace that change probably faster and, and potentially also go into publishing for the smaller guys that now are completely clueless about how to take a game to the top. Uh, so I think also going into publishing perhaps can be uh, an opportunity for these for that. Uh, I think uh, mid-layer of the market. Eric, uh, agree? Yeah, um, I think. Uh, Publishing is going to be a little bit tougher. So the, so I mean, so, so you have Guinea's point from earlier. You don't get the idea of V unless for a game that's outside of your sort of like publisher account on Apple. So, and so you need to you need to sort of like internalize all games under your own sort of publishing account in order to get the idea of V for them. Um, I feel like that's probably the direction of publishing has to head in um, in order to be sort of viable here you know, to do like sort of systematic, you know, intelligent cross promotion. I think like a, you know, mid-sized company with good brand recognition, they're probably in a pretty, uh, pretty good position um, to sort of ride this out. I mean, I think, you know, if you've just got a sort of magnet or a gravitational pull of organics uh, with your brand, then I probably lean into that. Um, and then just think about how do I sort of shift my monetization around to not be so dependent on CPM prices. Mm, okay. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the different type of companies. So uh, companies with high LTV and low DAU games. So I would give an example of IGG or machine zone or, you know, fun plus what's going to, what's going to happen to those and, and what are you guys recommendation? So more niche, but, but higher LTV way higher. This, this, it's gonna be, this is going to be tough for them, right? Because you're not going to feel confident, you know, dropping, you know, $20, $20 on an install if, you know, there's no sort of, there's no sort of mechanism for you to kind of, uh, you know, 
understand who that who that player is and, and why they were targeted, right? I think you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to see sort of like average CAC drop, um, you know, just because of the lack of targetability, because your average sort of uh, monetization your your monetization profile is gonna just sort of uh, trend downward um, because you're not you're not able to sort of be hyper targeting you know, high monetization players. So this is going to be tough. I, and, and frankly, I think the strategy there goes way beyond just advertising. I mean, this is like big picture stuff um, that you need to think really deeply about. And it's going to sort of, you know, you take it down to the studs. I think these guys are in big trouble, the, the, this layer specifically, mostly because of how uh, much data they have in general, in terms of DAU, in, in terms of the, the, the top of the funnel and how that translates into revenue. I think it's very uh, whale heavy. And this is basically against everything uh, uh, kind of by design of uh, iOS 14, what Apple is trying to break the ability to, to target and, and track those whales, to retarget them and, and keep them uh, inside your app. And also another, another important thing here would be how deep uh, the monetization is in, inside their games. And by the time you reach those monetization events, probably you have uh, lost that uh, you know 24-hour timer that the SK Networks uh, provides, and that basically means you're 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 flying blind. Um, and I think they will need to rethink their uh, uh, their CRM strategy. Uh, they will need to rethink how they're measuring things, and also uh, rethink how do they really uh, approach the product uh, moving forward. But in general, I think this this layer is by far the one that will suffer the most kind of by design and the nature of iOS 14. Okay, so do you think also that uh, a more broader appeal will be the focus of these companies? They will be doing a lot of marketability testing early on to kind of find that sort of a almost like supercell style that, that fits with, a, with, yeah, with broader audience compared to their current more hardcore styles? I think... You know, I, I, I wish that they w would do that for them, but I'm not sure they, they are built this way in terms of how they operate. I think they're mostly uh, built around, uh, um, uh, in many cases, monetization uh, focus only, like uh, squeezing that lemon. How do we get more of those users in and more of the same users and the same specific user that has spent a couple hundred dollars last night? How do we keep uh, and reinforce those users to keep spending? And, mm -hmm. and that will completely break uh, outside of the, the apps due to the, the inability to track. And in these, uh, I don't know it's, if it's only my pro profile, but I've seen a lot of ads for Forex games, probably because I do play them. Uh, I've also seen a lot of ads for Raid Shadow Legends, all these type of games that have relatively small DAU and relatively high um, LTV. And they're advertising now, like it feels like they're advertising now particularly hard. So they must know what the implications are for them and they're trying to, squeeze the lemon now before before they don't have the lemon to squeeze, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it. I think for them it's gonna be the hardest, uh, deciding oh. what to do until then and what to change if at all in the product. Uh, marketing will suffer a lot and they will kind of rely on their current DAUs that will uh, slow down, slow mm -hmm. down, I think. Um, and that's gonna be the challenge. I think implementing new CRM techniques uh, and live ops, uh, I think that will be the focus, kind of enjoying what's left uh, from the audience, it's going to be very hard to acquire new whales, retargeting them through marketing channels. I think that's going to be a big challenge for them. Yeah. Luckily, they have really small amounts of installs, so they've already accustomed to that. So it, it might not be as quick of a change 
uh, as it as it would in some other categories where the um, retentions are much lower. But but this is yeah, this is definitely a big change. Yep. Okay, let's switch gears and let's talk about publishers with games that high uh, that have a high rate of organic installs. What happens to those? I think. Um... So these will these will suffer the least probably. Nothing should change much for them with how uh, their funnel looks like, and they will just like be I think sitting on the fence uh, and watching uh, others uh, uh, react to this uh, change. Uh, I think since their DUs will not change much, they uh, they might be able to facilitate advertising better uh, with how stable their DUs are. With how stable their uh, their audiences are, I think they will be able to facilitate. With like how SKN Network works, mm -hmm. I think they'll be able to facilitate better uh, stable UA because of how uh, per perhaps less volatile the the ad monetization and supply will look like. Uh, they will be ma maintaining their uh, piece of the pie uh, in a stable way. Mm. And they probably also become a great M and A targets for because of the uh, IDFB reason, since. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends of, uh, on like whether or not uh, IDV can really uh, uh, stick or not if you're using a different developer account. Uh, um, I think in general, their valuation just uh, will, will probably grow just because of how healthy the business is in terms of stability, right? So if, if, if one business uh, will not suffer from this will be the ones that are enjoying mostly uh, organic inbounds, uh, mm -hmm. that we very strong uh, IPs. Uh, or just in general, uh, games that uh, drive enjoy very strong uh, uh, organic uh, inbound uh, stream of users. That would be it. Yeah, I mean, again, then you know, this doesn't really affect them as much, um, and so you know, they're they're kind of sitting pretty. Um, I would just uh, you know, <laughs> I, I would just sort of continue to 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 enjoy that uh, enjoy that benefit. I don't know. I mean, if, if if you know, you're not reliant that much on UA in the first place, and this doesn't really affect you. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. So they're, they're kind of in the status quo while everything around them is, is shifting. Yeah. Well, so the thing is like their valuations potentially increase, right? Cause they have competitive advantage and the valuations of companies that, you know, are very dependent on, you know, UA, uh, they decrease. And so if I'm a mini clip, I'm thinking about who I can acquire in the next year. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, that's, that's what they're thinking probably every, every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's let's talk about publishers with broad portfolio. So these are the uh, the Ragnarok players, as you mentioned, the Zynga, the Blaytikas, maybe Lilith. Um, what is what is your take on on them? Like, what is going to happen to those? And what is your recommendation for the big boys and the the, the 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 you know the top ten publishers? Well, I think now you start thinking about how you uh, fully utilize the power of your portfolio. To sort of um, to sort of drive to drive that kind of MAU stability and you know the optimized monetization, right? So how do you distribute users across your portfolio? I mean, this kind of portfolio thinking was popular like 20, I don't know, 16, 2015, 2016, and then you know, and then the, the, everyone sort of took the opposite approach. It was like, no, we're gonna get like we're gonna build one game and we're gonna build it into a massive uh, kind of franchise and we're gonna. Um, you know, it's going to be like a forever game with, with, uh, you know, our, a lot of, uh, resources dedicated to live ops. Um, and we're, we're just going to, maybe we'll do a second game after like three or four years, but really our, our, our focus as a company is like the one game. And I think now people are going to, you know, sort of, uh, 
return to that idea of like portfolio approach. Now it's not necessarily like from, you know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean one studio makes a lot of different games. That means like one company owns a lot of studios that make maybe one game or two games, but they all specialize and play Tika has been way ahead of the curve on that, right? I mean, if you look at Playtica, they've been sort of, uh, you know, executing this strategy for the last couple of years. Um, and I think they're really well positioned to weather this because they've got a casual portfolio, they've got a really hardcore social, uh, social casino portfolio, right? And, uh, and so they've got like, you know, they have like kind of full coverage in a way that allows them to sort of move users around intelligently. Yeah, I think um, we've been seeing a lot of, uh... Uh, MA activity, I think, from, from Zynga lately, which was uh, great. And uh, and uh, this is something that uh, I think in, in this new era, when you look at this change, um, these kind of companies, in terms of uh, their cash flow, theoretically, if they're prepared, uh, they can kind of brute force through this uh, storm with, uh, with their cash flow, something that smaller guys just don't have and cannot risk. And they have to use this uh, to, to, you know, in a defensive strategy. Um, I think that um, some of these guys, especially, you know, the social casino uh, sub uh, category is one that will suffer a bit because of the lack of retargeting where they kind of retargeting and maintaining their, uh, their user base. But uh, I think similar to the uh, low DU high LTV games, they'll need to rethink their CRM strategy. How do we, how do they keep those users happy? How do they find them? Uh, and I think ha them having a bigger portfolio is something that these guys will need to address and kind of rethink their cross promo strategy. For these ones, even though the genres are different, in many cases, the audiences are overlapping in terms of their demographics. And they, in a way they can kind of educate the audiences to uh, move from one game to another and, 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 and decide and, and segment the user's uh, journey within those games based on their kind of idea fee history. Because those users belong to them across apps and they can track them. Mm -hmm. They can cross-promote them and they can uh, uh, utilize different CRM techniques across different apps within the portfolio. Um, and uh, I think in terms of content, they'll need to push a bit uh, further to kind of keep their current user base happy in general. Uh, the defensive CRM, the defensive retargeting strategies will suffer. So they'll need to just pump more, more content. I think they'll need to address UA combining that with retargeting because effectively UA and retargeting will be uh, as one. Uh, whether it's two creatives, new content inside those creatives under the assumption that their current users are gonna, also going to be seeing UA ads because uh, suppression and uh, it's not going to be effective and retargeting is not going to be there. So I think that's something that they need to uh, approach. Uh, I do uh, think that uh, at least I'm worried about those because of their size, right? So they are, they, they're great, they have, they're big, they have their portfolios, but we have you know, we have two months left, uh, maybe less, and they need to move fast, react. So I think they, they, they have to allocate resources. They have to allocate budgets. They have to, uh, to, to allocate resources and, and build uh, lean teams to kind of uh, pave the way for this change. Uh, and uh, if they're not doing that, I think that's, that's going to be very challenging for them. And last but not least, hyper-casual publishers, the Voodoo's, the Good Games, the Say Games, the Lion Studios, the Supersonics. Uh, what's going to happen? Supersonics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe you so, want to skip the supersonic one, but <laughs> be stuck. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know what's going to happen there, so I'm, I'm uh, less worried. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I think I think that there's a the big question mark around hypercasual is is uh, what will the CPMs look like the day after? Are they going to be uh, a fraction of what they are today? Are they going to stay similar? Are they going to grow? Uh, some some assume that they can actually grow, but because of the lack of inefficiency. 
in the day after the lack of uh, be behavioral targeting and the kind of shift to contextual. Um, and and uh, by the nature of this, uh, this, uh, the hyper casual uh, scene, uh, it relies a lot on the, let's say, inefficiency of, of, of the, the, the ad monetization uh, platforms. So assuming the CPMs will not suffer too much, um, I think to simplify this, I think marketability testing can stay as is, very similar to that because of uh, analytic, analytics stay the same, so you can still measure ARPU, you can still measure ARPU from uh, impression level, um, um, uh, revenue measurement, which is available today, uh, um, and you can still measure that. You cannot tie it back to the channel, but you can still do that. So, you, so you'll be able to easily answer that question of what is my, uh, uh, what does my ARPU curve look like? And uh, that's very easy to turn that into LPV within hypercasual because of the lifespan of the users. I think on the UA side, I think marketability also will not necessarily change as much. Yes, this can shift to Android, but even still this can, can, can stay as is on, on the current channels with how SK network works. Um, and I think that uh, this might be the opportunity for the smaller guys to, to take over a bigger part of the market. Whatever the, the pie looks like the day after, if it's the same, if it's bigger or smaller, I think how that pie is distributed will look completely different uh, with how these guys will uh, operate this change. Um, still the biggest unknown here would be around the, the CPMs. Uh, will they go up, will they go down, by how much? Uh, but other than that, nothing much uh, should change here. I think the conver conversion value implementation with the Nesca network is something that they can adapt to pretty easy with the amount of sessions they have per day with how you can uh, theoretically uh, uh, measure uh, sort of uh, retention for, for the first couple of days with how SK network works with, uh, with the hyper casual behaviors. So I think the ones that are probably smaller will, will be able to move faster. Um, and I hope the bigger ones can, can adapt as well uh, in, this, uh, in the time we have left. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's super interesting because that pie has been growing quite significantly and, and we've been bullish um, that that there's going to be big yep. changes. So this, this was quite unexpected, at least for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this, that kind of genre gets kind of hollowed out a little bit because a lot of the, um, you know, the CPMs are just going to collapse. I mean, the C, you know, for these games, this, the CPMs are going to, are, are going to, you know, de decrease by maybe 80%, I think. And the traffic sources that they're going to be dependent on, because like a lot of that programmatic inventory is just going to go away. A lot of the programmatic uh, ecosystem is going to go away because programmatic won't really be as viable anymore. So a lot of the, 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 the traffic sources that they'll have to buy from are going to have higher CPMs than a lot of the traffic sources that they sell to are going to have much lower CPMs. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the traffic sources they buy from the CPMs are going to go down there too. But I think the differential is going to be skewed, um, not in their favor, right? I think that the, the prices they'll be able to charge for their inventory are going to go down by a much greater degree than the prices that they can buy new inventory from. Because a lot of the ad tech ecosystem that supports that kind of traffic trading that they do is just going to go away. So I'm not I'm not super um, optimistic about the hyper casual gaming vertical, aside from what I talked about earlier. Although you know I've been kind of banging that drum for a while, and uh, you know the hyper you know that that vertical seems to have done nothing but grow. So I could be totally wrong there. All right, guys, I'm not going to take any more of your time. How do people get in touch with you guys? So Evgeny, how how do people can get in touch with you after listening to this? Uh, MobileDevMemo.com. There I I created a dedicated channel for the IDFA deprecation on the mobile dev memo Slack. There's an awesome conversation happening there. Um, you know, 1500 people in that Slack. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty big diverse group of people. Um, Twitter. And, uh, you know, I've published, I've been just sort of 
talking to my smartest friends in ad tech uh, recently and recording the conversations and publishing them as uh, podcasts. Um, so, you know, you can look that up on Spotify and I'll continue to do that. All right, Evgeny, thank you so much. How do people can get in contact with you? Email uh, at ironsourceevgeny.p at ironsrc.com. Uh, Twitter works, LinkedIn. Um, there's uh, great stuff uh, on our uh, Level Up podcast, uh, our Medium blog. Uh, in general, uh, feel free to reach out uh, to myself directly uh, or three or Iron Source uh, representatives. There's a lot to talk about with this change coming. Uh, it's already here. Uh, go read the documentation uh, and uh, start preparing. Uh, 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 there's not much left and I think uh, whoever's uh, behind will probably stay behind. Perfect. A lot of deep dives and, and folks uh, add questions. We'll do more of these. I think this was perfect. I, I did not know enough about this IDFA and, and um, you guys were amazing. Uh, so thank you very much for, for joining and explaining this to me and as well as our listeners.